Hello everyone, just a note that this episode was recorded originally in early March, in what some might dub the before times. We at Just Hands hope that everyone is doing well, given the global quarantine in which we find ourselves. Enjoy the episode. Hello, James. Hello, Jack. How are you doing on this, uh, or at least over here in New York, it's starting to round into form. Got some nice 60-degree uh, highs and such, a little sun here and there. Yeah, this is uh, kind of my favorite time of year because it's the longest before it's going to be really cold for a long time, if that makes sense. No, that's a good way of putting it. That's a... Uh, no, it is, it is a very nice aspect for this time of year. Spirits are high, except they're not, for obvious reasons, but oh well. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know if everyone's been playing very much poker lately, with uh, you know maybe a little bit of a dampening spirits in card rooms across America as people look to stop uh, touching the things that other people touch. But we're still going to talk about poker. We're still going to be playing poker, and poker's not going away. So, we have a hand that a listener sent from Fort Worth, Texas, and I think we should discuss it. Sounds good. This is from a home game in Fort Worth, Texas, playing 1-3, 1K effective. It's pretty deep. Pretty deep. Probably, you know, a lot of these 1-3 home games, they, they just play across the board bigger, and the smaller blind just makes everyone feel a little bit more comfortable. That's yeah. I imagine it often ends up in a one three six as the night goes on. Yeah, or just maybe it's unnecessary. If people are just playing for the loose preflop. Mm-hmm. Yep. Plenty of big pots. Uh the I mean the common saying is that it plays more like a two five. Which I think is it's true other than in the sense that a lot of people say that a lot of two five games play like more more like a five ten game which is sort of true other than that people say a lot of five, 10 games, like 10 and a quarter games. So, you know how big it's, they're playing one, three, it's one K effective. What more do you need to know? It's not two, five, it's one, three, but uh, we're seeing a lot of money go in the middle, most likely. So I'm going to unfold information as I see it in the email, because uh, I think that's probably the way it's intended. So we're going to get straight into the hand. I don't have any, any details on the opponent yet, um, but we're going to get them later on after the hand so we can talk about how we might change things. But I'm, I'm sort of going off like a hybrid of the opponents I would expect to see in this setting, none of whom are particularly excellent at poker, but who range from the very sort of loose and passive to uh, sort of solid, aggressive players, maybe throwing a few... Uh, very loose grace of players and a few uh, tight players. I'm imagining a lot of people in uh, cowboy hats. I am too, but I feel like that's probably wrong. But <laughs> I'm just going to hold out hope. Anyways, another gun with uh, 1K behind, likely wearing a cowboy hat, opens to $20. Hero is on the button with pocket kings, king of clubs, king of diamonds. 
and hero covers by just a little bit. Okay. Do you know how many handed it is? How uh, handedness is not something that I think was included. Okay. Whole game probably somewhere between six and nine. You know. I think I'm gonna try and start just saying like L L low jack minus one or low jack minus two, just to uh, I don't know, just to be more clear. But yeah, you had it, it takes out the guesswork. Mm-hmm. We're on the button with Pocket Kings. Um, seems like a good time to bump it up a little bit. Yeah, I think a raise is pretty damn uncontroversial here. Against a really aggressive player, like, it can be interesting to just call here. Especially someone who maybe is going to try and take advantage of being perceived to have a much stronger range. But I think for the most part, that's like that's more of an edge case. And I think just raising is best. And that's what Hero does. Yeah. $65. Maybe, maybe like against a really tight player in like a nine-handed game, um, you might want to consider like flatting your entire range just because it's going to be a really narrow range that you would ever three-bet. But I don't think that's the case here. Yeah, and even... On the button, I think that applies a little bit less just because we have so so many fewer players behind and they're not in position for the most part. I mean, they're definitely not in position. I think we can mm-hmm. say that with, with about as, as much certainty as we can possibly muster. Um, all right, so we get to a flop, $125 after rake, which, uh, yeah, I guess that sounds about right. Queen of diamonds, 10 of clubs, 6 of diamonds is the flop. We have the king of clubs and the king of diamonds. It checks to us. What are you thinking here? Seems like a good time to go for a value bet. Our opponent will probably have a significant amount of queen X, um, maybe some 10 X, maybe some gut shots here that they'll continue with. And uh, we definitely don't want to give... Um, like a free card to any of their ASEX hands. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, I think it's a pretty uncontroversial bet. Hero bets $85. And any thoughts on sizing in this kind of spot? That seems a little big to me. Um, I, I mean, you could you could have a strategy that goes for some different sizings here, but I might be looking to just price out their gut shot type hands or to make those hands like kind of indifferent to calling a bet for us here. I guess a lot of those hands are going to be like ace-10, ace-jacks. They'll also have the over card against us. So maybe shading up a little bit could be good. I think I might go like a little bit smaller, but I wouldn't. I don't think I'd go less than half pot. Yeah, it's one of these spots where, like, we have bluffs, but overall our range is really damn strong. Actually, the in a way, like, the weaker our three-betting range becomes, the stronger our actual range sort of becomes. Like, if we just have aces, kings, and ace-king, then we're in a spot where, obviously, we have a very strong range, but that's more sort of like big bet polarization kind of territory. 
if we have, let's say, ace, queen, plus, and tens, plus, our, I mean, it's, our range is just really strong. It's over, it's probably like 75% top pair plus. I mean, that's, that's the, if that's your range, and like we plug this in a solver, like Jax is probably just going ahead and starting to bluff right out of the gate, uh, which seems like a reasonable thing to do if your opponent knows that your range is that strong. Anyway, so I do think it's going to be, it's not, you know, trivial to get like a ton of value in these spots. Like I think like a queen should be able to find a fold a good amount of the time. But we actually have a hand that like it can it can turn into a bluff on like a jack. It's not crazy. Although it's probably just not totally worth it. We don't have a huge amount of incentive to deny. I actually think there's a case for checking depending on like what kind of opponent you're against. If you're against someone who's just going to shovel in the money with ace-queen, then yeah, it's kind of hard to, to really make a strong suggestion towards checking. But if you're against an opponent who looks at ace-queen and says like, ah, there's just a lot that beats me here. And even the hands that I'm ahead against right now, like they can improve against me uh, relatively often. So, yeah, I, I do think there's a case for checking if like we can probably only get two streets, but we can maybe induce induce a lot of semi bluffs on the turn and river, and we have a hand that like calls down really pretty much without any trouble on almost all boards, other than like I guess. Ace of hearts, ace of spades are kind of annoying. Uh, but even those, it's not so, it's not terrible. Uh, it could be worse. Where does that leave us? I, I think we probably should bet. I think checking a hand like aces um, could make more sense here just because you're, you're not as worried about the over card. Like, and... Um, yeah, you'll run into the same problems like getting value against someone who might fold some of their queens um, by the turn or by the river. When you said queens are going to fold, were you talking about on the flop or you just meant like... No, no, no. Like on the river. Like probably on yeah. the river. Yeah. But if we can get two bets and unlikely to get more, then we get into a situation where it's it can be slightly better to let our opponent start bluffing or stabbing. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that this is one of those times. It's not quite the right board. It's, it's a much better approach to do that in spots where our opponent can improve to a second-best hand that like, will pay us a lot. And I just don't think this is really one of those boards. If our opponent has a queen or a 10 and they improve, we're behind. If our opponent has... Our opponent can't improve to like, top hair such that like, we're now ahead the way yeah. that... If we had aces, that would that would be a possibility. So yeah, overall, I think unless we were up against an opponent who was very stab happy, it, it's just better to bet. As far as sizing, I wouldn't. You know, there's a case for going smaller, but I actually think it's better to go a little bigger, just because queens 
never really fold the flop. And so I think if we can get sort of like a silly amount of money in on flop and turn just through betting and keep a smaller river bet behind, that might actually be better uh, for us, especially in position. Uh, whereas like, you know, if we, if we sort of size in equal proportions or size down and size up on turn, I don't think sizing up, like sizing down and sizing up on turn is the right approach. So I think as soon as our opponent faces like a very large bet relative to the size of the pot, they become a lot more likely to start folding hands like a queen. Yeah, it's kind of hard for 10x to call. Like that's a hand that might be kind of elastic to our sizing here, but there probably aren't too many 10x hands. I guess like all their all their seated Broadway 10x could be calling here and might call like a half pot bet, but um, they might not necessarily call. Like they might find a tight fold on the flop with that hand. Yeah, we have so we have 945 behind. I'm probably thinking something like 90 or or $100 on the flop and then something like $300 or so on the turn and that would leave us with like a two-thirds pot bet on the river which is probably a little hard to get called by worse unimproved but we still probably end up going for it and I think uh, that's the approach I would favor here if like diamonds come through we maybe don't go for it on the river I don't think there's anything. It's a little nitty to like check back kings if the runout is like five of hearts, like three of diamonds, let's say, or eight of diamonds, uh, seven of diamonds, four of diamonds, like any of these kinds of hands or any of these kinds of cards. But I just don't think queens will call you. Yeah, the I mean the formation is really like things are really narrow because of um we're facing an under the gun opponent so we hero bets 85 dollars, which i think is a a reasonably or i mean i think it's a good sizing yeah i might shade up just a little but no i, I think that's good and somewhat surprisingly although it is a draw heavy board hero faces a raise to 300 dollars. so again Board is queen of diamonds, ten of clubs, six of diamonds. It's an annoying spot. I mean, for me, like so many of these decisions are profile based. Now it's it's hard for me to give advice on like what to do in a vacuum here against an opponent. Do we have any kind of information about this player? We do. So let me. I agree. It is. The vacuum is an overrated medium. So let, let, let's actually bring in the relevant information now. And I don't actually know what happens in this hand. So I'm gonna, I'll try and make sure I don't read anything that gives anything away. So Hero writes that he's beaten Villain in the last three to four big pots that they've played together over the last two sessions. Uh, Villain is quite aware of it and has made mention of it several times. Villain is one of the biggest winners in this game and is generally feared by most other players. Plays a wide range and does well getting max value from players who play too many hands. Biggest flaw, maybe pre-flop bet sizing tells, and this straight up open to $20 or this straight open to $20 is probably a stronger hand. I've seen him slow play aces multiple times to good effect, extracting max value, 
I'll put most aces, if not all combos of aces and queens into his range going to the flop. And he said he audibly grumbled, this guy is 3-betting me all the time before calling my 3-bet in this hand. Ooh, that yeah. sounds like a reverse tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if ever I heard one. Yeah. So I mean, maybe not. So if this player's feared. All right, so here's what I'll say. By the way, I think this is a very good description. It, it's useful. It might actually be trying to like shade us to a certain conclusion. I'm not sure, but um, but I do think it's a good description. So if a player is feared, that generally means that the player isn't very fearful. You know what I mean? Like someone who their style induces fear from the other players is probably not someone who like is super or is playing like really scared money and like doing a lot of like dumb protection raising. It's not impossible. So like I say that to say suggest that like I don't really think this is like Queen Jack trying to get Ace Queen to, Ace King to fold. Based on this description, I wouldn't rule it out, but it seems somewhat unlikely to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think that seems pretty unlikely. When I when I think feared, I think someone who's going to be betting betting big sizes with bluffs and with value such that it's it's hard for opponents to know where they're at. Yeah. No, I think that's uh that's probably true. So Let's let's account for some of the the combos here before we talk about some of the specifics of preflop, sort of the relevant things. Six possible aces, one possible king, three possible queens, three possible tens. There are eight possible ace kings, although I wouldn't say that most of them are very likely to play this way. Let's say four somewhat likely king jacks. Two somewhat likely queen tens. Four king jacks? Wouldn't it be twos? It would be two. Counting the yes, two king jacks, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot we had kings for a second. Could be up to 16 ace jacks, but I don't think many of them play like this. I think it's probably just ace jack of diamonds. Jack nines, maybe. Probably only two real relevant uh, combos. And then nine eights is another relevant combo. It could be four of those. So let's say like our most likely semi bluffs are like nine eight of diamonds, nine eight of clubs, jack nine of diamonds, jack nine of clubs, ace jack of diamonds, ace king of diamonds. So is and that then like- we, and then king jack, the other two king jacks, just because they have some yeah. more outs, maybe. Yeah, maybe throw in one of those. Mm-hmm. So how many was that? It's like nine? I probably should have counted. <laughs> it's it's not that many. No, I think it's like seven or eight. Yeah. Seven or eight likely, although that, that could expand if we include like all the nine eight, jack nine, um, all the king jack, more ace jack or ace king. Like if ace jack with the ace of diamonds or ace king with the ace of diamonds, those start yeah. playing this way. It could uh, there could be like low like like all the nut flush draws that could be in there, 
like yeah. I don't think they'd be in there at hundred percent frequency, but maybe like twenty five percent frequency or something. Yeah, it's another couple of combos. The non combo draw ones. Yeah. Seven eight of diamonds wouldn't be crazy. So overall, maybe like anywhere from eight to 20 possible bluffs, although I would say a feared player should probably recognize this as a board where a board where they're not going to get that many folds. But I think we're going to get good, pretty good information on the river. Like I think there's a case to fold out is what, what I'm building to. But I think we're going to get pretty good information on the next three. Because if our opponent is bluffing, hoping to get us to fold hands like ace-jack or ace-king, we're probably going to fold those mostly to this very large raise. And so I think our opponent has a lot less incentive to continue. It's not a guarantee our opponent slows down, but I do think we should face a more value-heavy range on the turn. Do we have the king of diamonds? We do, yeah. We have the king of diamonds, we have the king of clubs. Hmm. I'm trying to think like what we're going to do on a diamond turn. We probably, I don't know, I'd probably call off there, but I'd have to think about it. Um, yeah, I I think there's a case for folding now. Um, a lot of the time, like, kind of your your best case scenario is that this is a balanced bluffing range, and then uh, an equally likely scenario is that it's only value hands that are showing up here. That's more which, or less my concern too. Yeah, which is, it happens a lot, and it's easy to to talk yourself into like, oh, this is a good player, like they could be, they could be bluffing here, but... Um, you know, there's also, there's a chance that it's almost never a bluff. And so like weighing those two profiles, like you should be folding if you think those scenarios are, you know, equally possible. Yeah. And the other thing is like these bluffs have pretty good equity. Yeah. It's not like we're going to be in a great situation when the turn comes a diamond and then we face an all-in because um, like a lot of our villains' bluffs will have gotten there, even though we have the king of diamonds. Yeah, and villain is choosing, I think, a pretty good sizing because it makes a jack a much less concerning card. It's just really hard, I think, for us to continue with much ace-king here. There's another, there's another possibility, which we haven't really talked about, which is just shutting. And I think that's a much more realistic option if we don't expect to see aces here. Yeah. Like if our opponent is four-betting aces almost all the time and queens a good amount, then we're just up against a lot less value. And we also we, we have okay equity against like sets relative to other boards. Like kings with... Uh, the backdoor diamond draw and like the backdoor straight draws and you know an over over pair probably has like 15%. So that's that's pretty decent for 
having one pair versus set. And yeah, against two pair, slightly higher, probably like uh, 25%, maybe higher. But I think with having seen this player slow play aces multiple times and with the verbal tell, this guy's three betting me all the time before calling the three bet, I, I would really avoid that just because I do think you will see aces here a significant amount of the time such that it's going to be very hard for us to three bet all in profitably. Yeah. What is our, I, I agree with all that. I think, I think super valuable observation that they'll have aces here. Cause that's six combos, which is um, a lot in like this really narrow spot. What is our write in listener? What do they end up doing? Uh, so here it did call, which I think, uh, you know, it's, I think you can make a case for folding the flop, but I think that it's not something that happens very often. So I would be very surprised to see anyone fold the flop with Kings here, uh, especially people who aren't extremely risk averse in the first place. And so I think it's a, it's a very reasonable call. I think you should consider a fold, but I don't know that this is a fold that I end up making in game, to be honest. Uh, I think I probably call but I'm nervous. So we get to the turn. 725 in the pot. Uh, 640 or 35 behind. And on the gun goes all in for 600. Turn card is the nine of clubs. So board is queen of diamonds, 10 of clubs, six of diamonds, nine of clubs. So King Jack got there. King Jack got there. It's only seven eight of diamonds got there. Okay. Nine eight of diamonds, ace nine of diamonds, jack nine of diamonds. Those all pick up equity. Ace jack of diamonds picks up equity. And yeah, we pick up equity when we're up against two pair or a set. Yeah. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's an annoying spot. I also, the I, second club draw comes in. So, like, if our opponent has, like, ace-jack clubs or ace-king clubs, those are types of hands. Or, I mean, ace-king clubs, not possible. So, ace-jack. Yeah, with a backdoor. Yeah. Ace-queen of clubs. Mm-hmm. Seems not crazy. So, overall, I, I don't think we see much of a... The spot just doesn't change very much. I don't see nine eight like necessarily slowing down on this card. Yeah, yeah. And I think a, a lot of the villains bluffs are gonna. I think pretty much all of them are gonna continue here on this card, but they've also all picked up, or a lot of them have picked up equity against our hand. Yeah, I think. Again, I, I think I'd find a fold here. Um, I think like our best case scenarios will we'll find a kind of a balance of bluffs and our worst case is like our villain is just as value here. This is one of those spots where it's like, if it was correct to call the flop, I could very easily see it being correct to call here on the turn because, you know, I mentioned 
one reason you might want to call the flop is if you thought your opponent would shut down a lot on certain turn cards, but I just don't think this is really one of those turn cards because it's kind of scary looking and just a lot of bluffs naturally pick up equity. I don't think that, I think bluffs are more likely to give up if they don't pick up equity. Um, and we, we don't have a complete profile of this player either. Like, you know, there are, it's possible that this player puts in a lot of really big bluffs and is like slightly over bluffing some of these spots, like is like continuing with all their like ace of diamonds here. Like if, if he has all those combos, then um, this becomes a call, I think. So I have, you know, I'm just trying to go off of the average profile that I would expect um, given the right in description. Yeah, the other issue is that like the more or the looser our opponent is as a bluffer, they they do start to actually pick up some some more nutted hands. If our opponent like definitely has seven eight of diamonds or seven eight of clubs, then like that's not good. Our opponent definitely has like king jack of hearts, king jack of spades. That's not good. So it's hard for our opponent. It's hard for us to like expand our opponent's bluffs without also expanding their value. Yeah, overall, I do think it's close. And so, yeah, I, I think both both turn lines are appropriate as played, but I do think that folding on both streets is probably a slightly better play. And I think I think my, my favorite play is probably fold the flop. But yeah, I think this is just a sort of, it's a bit of a special turn card such that it really changes in some ways it, it changes the board a lot, but in other ways it like just kind of rebalances everything to look very similar and we're getting a reasonable price. I mean, we're getting slightly better than two to one and we have, you know, we know that we have four outs. So that gets us a lot of the way there. So yeah, I, I do think probably call turn, but I, I still think I like fold flop. This is a spot where, looking for if you can get any kind of live read like that would definitely sway me a lot too. like, you know, we talked about it for in a couple recent episodes, but um, like that. Yeah. Like the thing he said at the beginning, like I, I'm kind of coming back to that a little bit. And then um, yeah, just if you're, there's a lot of like close spots in this game. And if you're able to like, get a good idea of what someone's body language, like what it might mean. Like that can, that'll make the difference for you in this hand. Yeah, for sure. I don't like the spot. I mean, I, I think it was really a good hand to share because there's a lot of complexity here. I, I'm still going back and forth on this turn. All right. So it's, it's more or less unresolved. So <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel a lot more confident about other hands that get sent in. This one is tricky. And so I, I don't think you're going to, you know, that, that all being said, like, so here it did actually fold, which I think shows very good discipline. And yeah, I think, uh, I think overall, nothing about this hand is going to like, it was a big mistake in my opinion. And also I don't think you can like 
just do really awesome in this spot facing this kind of action. I just don't think that there's a there's either option that's going to be like significantly better um, a high percentage of the time. I think James's point that there's enough of the time where this is just like always value that that's probably what makes me think folding is superior on both streets. Um, but I do think it's close just because it is a relatively dry heavy port. It'd be interesting if you had a different combo of Kings because then we get a much clearer, I would say, well, no, not necessarily. Never mind. Yeah. That, that, you know, your, your combo, I think helps you on the turn more than it hurts you. So there you go. I hope that helped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, all right. So, um, so Hero did ask a couple of questions. Uh, yes, yeah, should I have C-bet this dynamically textured flop with all kings, no kings, only kings with the king of diamond, or without the king of diamond, with some clarification on good thinking in this spot? Uh, I think the luxury of position means that you can always bet with your kings. I don't, I don't think there's any like reason why you should only bet with the king of diamonds uh, or not bet with the king of diamonds. You know, obviously a solver is going to mix, but, you know, duh, solvers just always mix. So, almost always mix. Very, very... What about, yeah, what if we were out of position somehow with similar ranges? I think starting with a check on the flop... It's hard to be out of position with similar ranges, I think. Yeah. I mean... Or, yeah, I, I just think it's hard to be out of position with similar ranges. Maybe we... We like four bet the button facing a small blind three bet. Yeah. Again, I think like the tighter your opponent is, the more I would consider a check just because there's a lot less uh, downside. Also, if your opponent is, I mean, the, the ideal opponent to check against is someone, and this, this does come up more than it sounds like, someone who's kind of tight uh, on the calling side of the tree, but facing passivity just becomes much more bet happy. Yeah, that, like we can we can call like two bets from queens like pretty nicely here. Yeah, like if queens will just bet themselves or or even if we can like call or queens will bet and then like bet call that that can happen against an opponent who would when facing bets like maybe just hold the turn. Um, just because people, they don't have much of a memory. So they, they for, they'll forget that you actually three bet. And they'll just be thinking about like, oh, like when you checked, I had a queen, I thought I had the best hand, then I bet and I bet again, I was excited. And then you raised, and then I was like, well, what does this guy have? And I just call, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, you're, you're pushing them into like a area of the game tree that they might be less comfortable with. Yeah, or just checking back more. By... I guess a way of like, I do think that's actually an interesting way of framing it that I think lines up well with how people think is if you can get people farther away from relevant information where you have a better memory for what happened in the hand than they do, then they might be more likely to make mistakes. Like right now, they're definitely thinking like, you just three bet me. If you check and then they bet and then they bet again, they're probably not thinking about that anywhere near as much. Uh, so so that, that could be a good reason to check. But but no, I wouldn't say there's anything about like this spot that suggests to me that 
CBIT in Kings isn't going to be a very good decision most of the time. Uh, another question, Hero said he had trouble in the game coming up with enough bluffs for his value. Uh, and his assumption was that he had at least three combos of aces, unless they gave him all ace of diamonds hands, which seems a bit liberal. So too nitty, appropriate live exploit. I think we, so if you obviously if you listen to this, we think that a lot of draws are possible, but it's it's hard to say if they're likely. And yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't focus too much on like just the nut flush. Um, because I think a lot of combo draws might be more likely to raise or as likely. But but yeah, I think I would just think about the way I approach it is more like what are the buffs that are bluffs that are possible? Like how often does my opponent bluff at all? And you know, of that percentage that they're bluffing at all, like how often do they scale back and forth within those possible bluffs? Uh, and I think that both what James and I are both concerned about, which is what you're also concerned about, is that this player is just not bluffing enough here at all. And so I think that your live exploit on the turn was appropriate, although I think it'd be more appropriate actually on the flop. If you want to, if sorry, if you want to get better at profiling opponents um, and live exploits, Jack has recently released a new course for Solve for Why. What's that called again? Called Mastering Live Exploits. Uh, so definitely something you might want to check out with coupon code. Uh, try Just Jack 2020. And if that doesn't work, try Just Hands 2019. One of those or both those will work for you. And yeah, James helped me with that, and I think it came out well. It's out this month, so you know I don't know that there's information there that's going to dramatically improve how you play this specific hand, but I do think that we laid out uh, a lot of really valuable tips and frameworks for thinking about live exploits and how to gather the relevant information to create exploitative strategies. So I'm excited about that. Hope that you guys enjoy it. And that's all at SolveForY uh, TV. That's tv.solveforyacademy.com. There's links in the show notes, that sort of thing. You guys know where to go. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, James, for joining me. And look forward to seeing you all again at the next episode.